Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Comedy Central. My guest tonight is a correspondent for CBS Sunday Morning and a best-selling author whose latest book is called Mobituaries, Great Lives Worth Reliving. Please welcome Mo Rocca. Love it from this perspective. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. And congratulations on another book. Another book, that's right. Thank right. you for remembering. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's fascinating is you, you, you wrote a book uh, before this, there was a smash hit. It was about presidents and their pets, right? right? That's right. And then... Um, the smash hit part, but okay. It was, yes, about presidential it pets. It did very well for a book about presidents and their pets. It right. was the best performing presidents and their pets exactly. book. Exactly. Thank you. That's a hit in this my is, book. I yeah. love this spin. Right. Um, and you didn't do that again. Is it because Trump doesn't have a pet? That is true that he's the first president um, to not have a pet in the White House. Chester Allen Arthur burned all of his papers... But um, so we don't know for sure that he had pets. But my understanding is he had a goldfish. I'm not making this up. Um, uh, but um, but Donald Trump does not have does not have a pet. Right. Millard Fillmore also didn't have a pet, but he was the vice president of the ASPCA for the Buffalo chapter when he left the White House. So that counts. What what I always find um, really. I can't believe you didn't freakish, up on that. freakish about you is that you you just have all of this information yeah. in your head. You you're like a like a presidential buff. Like you just you just love information about presidents. Any trivia about presidents? Yeah, I I I love presidential factoids. And I grew up outside of Washington D.C. And, and seriously, when you grow up in the D.C. area, sort of the president is kind of the above the the title film star. I imagine it's the equivalent of growing up in L.A and looking through the Paramount Gates in a way. Right. But, so I've always been kind of fascinated in the presidency. This book is interesting, though, because you wrote about people in this book. It's like Mobituaries, which is a play on your name, but Obituaries as well. Great lives worth reliving. You went with all of the people who we almost wouldn't know about, you know? So it, it's not about Jimmy Carter. It's about someone in Jimmy Carter's family. You know, it's yeah. not about Rosa Parks. It's about another woman of color, a black woman, who decided to ride on a tram when she wasn't allowed to and it was all white. It's like, why did you choose these characters? How did you find them? You know, I, this kind of marginalized history, these people that I don't think got the send-off they deserve. And it's... I know it sounds silly when we're talking about serious subjects like Elizabeth Jennings, the Rosa Parks of New York... But it feels good. It's fun to know this stuff. Right. I like that. And, uh, and, um, and I thought people, especially these kind of pockets of progress um, that have been forgotten, I think are important to know about, that history doesn't move in a straight line. So somebody like Elizabeth Jennings, almost exactly 100 years before Rosa Parks, right. she's booted off of a, uh, a streetcar in New York City, and she hires a future president, in fact, Chester Allen Arthur. I can't believe this is the first interview ever where Chester Allen Arthur has been name-checked <laughs> twice. But, 
she hires a young Chester Allen Arthur to defend her in civil court, and she wins. And this leads to the integration of New York City's Transportation Authority shortly after the Civil War. And I thought, that's kind of nuts that people don't know this. Every single story in this book feels like stories you would want to just have in your brain to be the most interesting person in a room. Yes. Right? Because, no, really, because it's like one of the stories that blew my mind here is when you were, like, I didn't know the history of the term Siamese twins, right? right. Conjoined twins, but then originally people like Siamese twins. And I didn't know that it came from two twins from the region that was once known as Siam, which was right. Thailand. And you tell this story, which is fascinating because they're conjoined twins. And then they come to America, they're brought to America, they're a sideshow, then they go on to become slave owners. Right. It's... So you're like cheering for them the whole time in the story. Yeah. And then at some point you're like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> you're like, oh, I almost completely loved you. Right. And you just screwed it up at the last second. <laughs> you had to go and become slave owners. Right. Ah. But that made it to me, uh, it's certainly a more complicated story, a richer story and a story more worth telling. I mean, they are kind of, they're immigrants. They're, their names are Chang and Ang Bunker. They're two of the first celebrities in America. They're once wildly famous. They're pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. They win their freedom and then they own slaves. Um, and it's sort of like the story of America, the good and the not good, right. all in one. I mean, they pack it all into that story. And, um, I, you know, and, and I was drawn to them because I remembered as a kid growing up, People my age will remember in the Guinness Book of World Records, there was this, this picture of them. It's like the picture of the conjoined twins. And, uh, and there was this whole story behind that. What is your favorite story like, that everyone you think should know about that they don't know about? Oh boy, I have so many that I love. I love the story of Billy Carter um, because um, Billy Carter, the younger brother of Jimmy Carter, mm -hmm. w is remembered by most people, if at all, as kind of a buffoon, kind of a joke, a caricature of a redneck. Um, and he, in fact, I went and I talked to President Jimmy Carter about him, to his widow and his six kids. And they describe a man who was hardworking, who was very funny, and we know this from interviews, profiles that were done of him, um, and a man who was struggling with alcoholism. And in the last proud chapter of his life, ministered to people um, that could relate to him about this. Right. Um, and, you know, here he is in a small, tiny town in southwest Georgia, living his life. His brother decides to run for president. The media descends. I mean, how would you, how would anyone handle that? The business, the family business was then put into a blind trust. Right. Quaint, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, those were the days. And, uh, um, and so he has no choice but to make his living at being Billy Carter. Right. Kind of being a caricature of himself, but a complicated and decent man, like when you really learn about him. And uh, so I wanted to be generous and I wanted to be compassionate. I think obituaries are the one place in journalism where the rule of thumb is, and I think should be, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Oh, that's interesting. Giving people the benefit of the doubt. When you die, I mean, come on. <laughs> you're gone. Right. You're I gone. Mean, I mean, unless you're a war criminal, that's different. Oh, then no doubt. Right. Yeah, you know. Some, some doubt or no doubt at all? The, oh, no benefit of doubt. No benefit of the doubt. None at all. No, no nice stories about how Nothing. they like puppies and all that. No. Got it, got it. What if it was like puppy-loving, war criminal dead? Or would you not even include the puppy-loving part? Two-part series. Ah, war criminal dead. Right. Also loved puppies. Yeah, that's an inset. Ah, we inside, put that deep inside the story. Right. If you get yeah. that far, also if you loved get puppies. That, but we want to make sure you get to the war criminal part. Got first. it, got it, got it. Puppies could not be reached for comment. Right, right. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thanks, being on the show. Trevor, really A great. fascinating book. Love the Daily Show Ears Edition. 
Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to cohst.app slash TDS or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Historically, librarians have played a respectable and conservative role in our society. Recently, Mo Rocca met a Washington, D.C. archivist who breaks that stereotype. The Library of Congress, the largest library in the world. Hundreds of miles of shelves of books covering every subject in the history of the world, except one. But that subject does have a place in this Clinton, Maryland home. Library of Congress employee and archivist Ralph E. Whittington has been compiling his private collection here for 35 years. Would you describe yourself as a hardcore archivist? I, I consider myself a erotic archivist. My business card says that. Call it erotic, call it adult, call it legally questionable. Ralph is chief librarian of his own library of pornography, covering every corner, crack, crevice, and fold of this wide-open subject. This is your library's main reading room? Yes. And it's also your bedroom? In your mother's basement? Yes. Right. So how much smut are you hoarding in your mother's basement? I guess 500 videos and thousand or so magazines. Does the sea of pornography ever distract you from your crocheting? No. He doesn't bother me with that. I'm upstairs and he's downstairs. When Ralph was born and you held him in your arms and you looked into his eyes, did you say, one day this kid of mine is going to be hoarding a basement full of smut? Oh no, I never thought of such a thing then. Ralph is not just hoarding smut. Implementing the same system he uses at the Library of Congress, he catalogs and files every choice piece of porn. I'd like to talk to you about poontang. Is it one word or two? Poontang is one word. What about the title, Happy Ass Lesbians? Will we file it under subject ass or lesbians? Lesbians. Could it be cross-referenced under ass? No. So the world's biggest gangbang is going to appear in the performer index under Chong and under the subject index under gangbang and under the title index under the world's biggest gangbang. Worlds, yeah. This title really says it all. Oh, yes. Nurse McPringle never shrinks from a challenge. So puppets are not just for kids. Tell me about it. The reason why I bought it is the only X-rated film that has puppets as the actors. Librarian, archivist, fan, Ralph E. Whittington has immersed himself totally in his passionate pursuit. Would you describe yourself as hands-on? Uh, now I, I, I do, because I made an X-rated film with Chessie Moore. Was this a dream come true? Dream come true. What is it about Chessie Moore that captivated you? Availability. What does Mama Whittington think of her son's collection? Well, I feel that as he's his own man. I feel that he could have done worse. Every great movement begins with an individual act of defiance. Moses stood up to the Egyptians. Gandhi stared down the British. Well, Mo Rocca met a man in Syracuse, New York, facing the mightiest foe of them all. 
Over 17 long months, Fred Craig has crusaded daily against women's discount clothing chain, Fashion Bug. It all started with these. This is what happened to the Fashion Bug panties Fred bought for his wife after only one wash. They came apart, they shredded. So he balled up his panties and demanded a refund. She's like, yeah, those are underwear. You know, we can't take those back. No refund. But Fred had found a nobler purpose. Trashing Fashion Bug. For over a year and a half, he spent each day outside the mall spreading his message to women shoppers. Well, I tried to return something in there one day and they treated me like dirt. Is that because of your behavior? Not because of Fashion Bug's clothes. Don't be dissing them. If you don't like it, don't buy it. Encouraged by his supporters, Fred forges ahead single-mindedly. Yet somehow he finds time to paint, create helpful websites, and take relaxing drives. Fred's mother stands firmly behind him. How proud are you? Proud? He is a complete idiot for doing this. What would you prefer Fred do with his time? Work. Your son has a website. Why in the world would he have that? For other victims of Fashion Bug. The name of the website is www.fashionbugsucks.com. Well, now what kind of language is that? Jeez, I'm crowing. To evaluate Fred's claims, The Daily Show Laboratories conducted a battery of tests to simulate a typical day for a pair of panties. Conclusion, these panties needed to go back to the store. Oh, hi, yeah. Hi. Um, I want to uh, return these panties, which I um, bought, and um, they're not working. What's happening? Oh, my God. Wow, that's mud. After only 45 seconds, Fashion Bug gave The Daily Show a store credit. But for Fred, the battle continues with the support of his family. This is the honest to God's truth. I'm dreading Thanksgiving. That was my favorite holiday. But we're all getting together down my daughter's house and I dread Fred being there because the whole thing of being thankful is the idiot's gonna say, be talking about fashion bug the whole time. Fashion bug, fashion bug, fashion bug, fashion bug. That's all he thinks about. When he goes to bed, that's what he sleeps about. What can I do the next day for fashion bug? Jesus. Is he nuts? Really nuts. Is he crazy? Yes. Is he a lunatic? No. So you love your son? Yes. But I don't want to be associated with him. Oh, that's heartwarming. Love The Daily Show Ears Edition? Then help us get to know you so we can keep creating the content you love. Go to cohst.app slash TDS or click the link in this episode's show notes to fill out a quick two-minute survey. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Tony Blair is expected to be swept back into office today, doing no small part to his promise to control the violent antics of England's soccer hooligans. But as Mo Rocker discovered, they're still out there, and they're anything but under control. 
Soccer is a game of strategy and grace, enjoyed by legions of devoted and impassioned fans. But among these fans is a dangerous hooligan. Her name, Peggy Ayers. This octogenarian thug perpetrated one of the most appalling acts of hooliganism in the UK. Are you a fan or are you a hooligan? A fan, definitely. Bollocks, says psychologist Alex Haslam. I don't think the person that, in this particular case is someone you would pick out and say that person is a hooligan. But clearly, if you were presented with the facts of the case, this is antisocial and un unacceptable behaviour. On Saturday, September the 2nd, 2000, a day that now lives in infamy, Peggy woke up and started drinking. I just had a cup of tea. How many cubes of sugar, Peggy? One. It gets you hopped up. Yes. It keeps me going anyway. anyway. With all that English breakfast junk coursing through her system, Peggy staggered to her hometown soccer stadium. She never made it inside. You went to the stadium. And uh, this woman want, wanted to look at my bag. After a brief tussle, <laughs> security rifled through her bag. And then she took up my aerosol and she said, this is what we're looking for, isn't it? That's right, Peggy was carrying a concealed can of aerosol deodorant. Naturally, Peggy was ejected from the game. Peggy's reenactor was mortified. Peggy was unrepentant. Could aerosol deodorant be used to blind somebody? No. Could it be used to set a fire by lighting a match to the spray? No. Could aerosol deodorant be used to rip a hole in the ozone above the stadium? What are you talking about? Rip a hole in the ozone? Peggy Ayers, are you an eco-terrorist? I don't think so. Peggy was more dangerous than we thought. Peter Carter, Exeter City Grecian's administrator, blasted Peggy. These hooligans are hotheads. Mm. These hooligans are drinking too much. Mm. These hooligans are up to no good. Mm. These hooligans must be stopped. Mm. And that's not all he had to say. I've met one fan in particular yeah. who I've quite frankly found unnerving, mm. intimidating. I'm mm. speaking, of course, of Peggy Ayers. Mm. 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 But just what is this hateful granny capable of? Our cameras caught this ghastly exchange. Why do you wear those long socks? Well, I, um... Why? Well, I'm in Britain. This, um, is England. Hey! But, but you, you mean you think all Englishmen walk around in long socks? This is what our British correspondents wear. <laughs> no! Soccer fans, beware. When Peggy Ayers gets her fix... Sometimes we have soup. God help us all. Well, the Winter Olympics are, are just about over. Yes, that's right. And no doubt the biggest story this year has been the controversy over the Olympic pairs figure skating competition. I can feel your outrage. <laughs> it's a scandal that raises larger issues of fairness in figure skating judging and judging in general. To get a sense of the big picture, we turn to our Daily Show senior figure skating analyst, 
Mo Rocca. Mo, thank you for thank joining you us. Much. Appreciate it. Appreciate you coming by. Indeed. Last week's incident is about a lot more than just a corrupt judge. It points out the inherent difficulty in evaluating athletic competitions that are by nature subjective. It reminds us that figure skating will always come down to a matter of opinion, like all sports. But <laughs> actually, not like all sports. I mean, baseball is not subjective. It's, it's objective. Uh, Yankees 9, Orioles 3. Yankees win. It's 9 to 3. In your opinion. Not in my opinion, in, in reality. Let me give you a for instance, John. Let's say the Yankees score nine runs, but the Orioles score ten. Wouldn't the Orioles then be considered the victors? That, that, that'd be a different game. That'd be a, I mean, yes, they would be the victors in that game. That you would said. it, John? Or would we just be watching the same game from different perspectives? Think about that, okay? And even if the Orioles did score fewer runs, those runs might have been scored with more flair, more joie de vivre, whereas the Yankee runs could have been scored in a clunky and boorish fashion. No, Though I, I, the Yankee costumes are much nicer, and that, of course, would factor into the score for presentation. There's no score for presentation in baseball. The outcome isn't really open for that kind of debate, so... Well, John, I think it's just a little simplistic for you to say that the team that gets more runs is somehow the winner. I mean, take ballet. I saw Swan Lake the other day. It came right down to the end. Are you going to sit here and tell me that just because the swan died in the end, he lost? No, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you ballet isn't a sport. In your opinion. Okay. John, sports will always involve an element of artistry, whether it's the complex ballet that is baseball or the complex baseball that is ballet. Well, we're almost out of time here. Is there any way to make figure skating more objective, less subjective? Well, starting this year, the skating union is going to try having 14 judges instead of nine. And, and that's going to make it more objective? No, but they're also adding sticks, two goals, and a puck. That should help. <laughs> Now, the results, of, uh, the results of the 2000 census are in. <laughs> and among the findings, a record number of Americans are fleeing the big city for a lifestyle that can only be found in small-town America. But what happens when big city life comes back to haunt them? Mo Rocca found out the hard way. Pacific City, Oregon. Right here in Pacific City, there's trouble. And that starts with T. And that rhymes with P. And that stands for... Pinochle. Once a cozy seaside hamlet, Pacific City has now been targeted by Pinochle playing undesirables who have petitioned under House Joint Resolution 33 to officially declare Pacific City the Pinochle capital of Oregon. But Pacific City's upstanding citizens are just saying no. The proposal to make Pacific City the Pinochle capital of Oregon, what is your reaction? I think it's ridiculous. We got enough going on here. This town has an Italian restaurant. It has a Chinese laundromat. Can it tolerate pinochle players? It doesn't have an Italian restaurant. I don't know where they got this idea. This was the peanut, peanut, pinochle capital of the world. Meet pinochle kingpin Roger Tracy 
the mastermind behind the plot to push Pinochle on Pacific City. Civilization is coming, and like it or not, it creates change. And like it they don't, for all the usual reasons. Uh, it does bring in a different class of people, usually. A different class? Yeah, and you get more people that are peddling dope and, and illegal things. They drive too fast. They don't pick up after themselves. Beer cans, pop cans all over the place. They don't pay their taxes. They don't take care of their light bills. They don't pay their rent. Next thing they do is sell their car, and then the, and they lose that money. Then the next thing that happens, they're uh, carrying uh, firearms or something like that. Keep your ne'er-do-wells, your riffraff outside Pacific City. That's right. You don't want riffraff and ne'er-do-wells. We don't need Pinochle and their kind here. No, it's not only Pinochle. I don't have nothing against the game, but just the riffraff. But could the so-called rift raft be even worse than imagined? Our undercover cameras were able to infiltrate this pinochle den where I witnessed firsthand the unspeakable depravity that is pinochle. How rough can, uh, can these pinochle games get? Well, uh... <laughs> you mean you guys don't have any diamonds? It looks like the scourge that is Pinochle has firmly taken root. Pass. And everyone knows what that means. It's not unusual to see him take pictures and then with that Polaroid camera and then they pull it out, peel it off and just drop it. Sadly, this is the future of Pacific City. Goodbye Seaside Hamlet. Hello Sodom and Gomorrah. Explore more shows from The Daily Show podcast universe by searching The Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.